For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Let me keep that. Hey, Taproot. Morning. There we go. Uh, it's good to see you today. You know what today is? December the 16th, which means that we are in single digits now before Christmas. Some of you just got anxiety, like, oh my gosh. How many of you guys are totally ready? Christmas could be tomorrow and you'd be you'd be good to go. <laughs> the rest of us, the rest of us, Lord, help us. Um, hey, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are visiting Taproot for the first time this morning, we just want to welcome you to our church. Um, we are so glad that you are here. Behind uh, every chair, you'll find a little connect card that we would just ask you uh, to please fill that out for us if this is your first time here. Or if you've been here a few times and have not yet gotten a chance to fill it out, please do so for us. Uh, once you fill it out, you can either uh, drop it off into the giving boxes along the back wall, or you could stop uh, by the Connect desk in the foyer and drop it off there. And these cards will help us to know that you are here. They will help us to pray for you, to know how we can get you connected. And again, thank you for, for doing that. Um, <clears throat> before we, uh, we kind of dive into our uh, teaching this morning, I wanted to take a moment to uh, give you a quick update about, about something that happened yesterday and just pray uh, for uh, what happened and then for our uh, teaching today. Uh, yesterday afternoon, about 6.08 p.m., Emily Trainer and Will welcomed their second baby into the world, which is a big deal. It's great news. Uh, Magdalene Trainer was born uh, 7 pounds, 12 and a half ounces, and she was 20 uh, inches, 20 and 3 fourths inches. I don't know, how, is 21, I don't know, 21 inches, 20 and 3 fourths, <laughs> whatever, I don't know, 20, 20 and 3 fourths. Baby is doing great, mom is doing great as well, so man, we, we rejoice uh, with those guys, that's a, that's a big deal, and uh, just a cause for for praise, man. We love uh, we love babies, man, and they're a blessing. Uh, also, yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, while Emily was in labor, uh, sometime early in the morning, uh, husband uh, Will, who is one of our elders and leads worship for us, he suffered a pretty significant seizure, and um, it was uh, it was pretty big. He was um, uh, ambulance was called. He was taken to the um, the hospital and was treated there. Um, was cared for very very well. Discovered that he has been uh, for some years has been suffering from very minimal seizures, kind of little episodes. And I think that uh, 
a lot of things contributed to kind of what happened yesterday, uh, just tiredness, stress, being awake for a long, long time with a wife in labor, and he just had a pretty significant uh, seizure yesterday morning. Um, he was discharged about two-ish or so. He was uh, given uh, some medication, a good plan to, uh, to kind of... Uh, you know, get better over the next few months to kind of stabilize him. So uh, he's doing okay. He's t- talked with him this morning. He's he's tired. He's sore. Um, so we we just need to pray for for Will and for Emily. We uh, are just thankful that um, uh, the whole thing happened where there were people that could help around them that acted very quickly. Uh, that was God's grace for those guys. Um, uh, it, it was very traumatic for people that were there for Emily in particular and uh, anyway he's doing okay and uh, he uh, I think the plan is for those guys to get discharged later on today again baby mom are doing okay and uh, we've got a uh, I think there's a meal train going out sometime today or tomorrow Uh, I'm sure you're going to get some information on that Uh, so if you guys want to help out and uh, that'd be very much but he's doing okay. Uh, he's again tired. He is uh, he is uh, pretty sore, and uh, there's a good plan to kind of get that guy uh, on the right track over the next few weeks and months. So uh, if you guys can pray for for Will and Emily, um, uh, that it's a big deal. Mom, em- Emily's mom's flying in today to be here and help. Uh, but yeah, those guys need our prayers and our care, our love, and just to be with those guys as much as we. As much as we can. So, uh, before we kind of dive into our teaching, let's just pray for those guys, and then we'll pray for our our teaching this morning. We'll we'll go from there. Okay, let's pray. Um, Father, we uh, we thank you for this morning. Um, first, I want to thank you for for baby uh, Maggie. <coughs> we we are so grateful that uh, she's here, man. We are so excited uh, that she's here, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just bless. Bless Maggie, Lord, I pray. Our prayer is that Maggie would come to know you at a young age, Lord, uh, that she would find in Christ the, the greatest treasure in the universe, Lord. So thank you for a safe delivery, Lord, for, for Maggie. Thank you that Emily is doing well. I know she's, she's tired, so, so give, her, give her grace for this season. Give her good rest, Lord, when she can, Lord. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I pray as well for, for Will and God. Thank you for caring for him yesterday. Thank you for the, the team of doctors that, that were there to, to care for him and to help him out, Lord. Uh, thank you for your grace and mercy over him, Lord. Uh, Father, I, I pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, bring uh, rest to his soul, rest to his body, that, that the soreness would, would go away, that you would bring healing, God. Thank you for the, for the plan that has been laid out for him to get better, Lord. I pray that you would, you would heal him, Lord. That is our prayer, God. And... Uh, and, and I just pray, Lord, more, more than anything, I pray for his soul. I know he's, he's discouraged, God. He's uh, stressed. So just, just, just meet him and uh, minister to his soul. Be, be close to him, Lord. And uh, I pray that we as a church body, as his church family, would be able to come around him and, and, and be the church uh, for, for, that, for that family. Uh, so yeah, we just uh, think that they are in your care and in your hands, God. And now we pray for this morning's teaching, Lord. I pray that you would um, bless it, use it, Lord, meet your people. May the gospel, may Christ be, be evident and central to this morning's sermon, God. And may you use me, this, this broken vessel, to communicate your words clearly and, and faithfully. And I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, you guys, uh, two weeks ago we started a, a, a very short uh, 
Advent sermon series that we are simply calling Christ of Christmas. Now, uh, as we get going, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have read C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, how many of you guys have seen the movie at least? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. Well, one of my favorite moments in that story is when the, the beavers tell the Pevensey children that Aslan, who is the, the great uh, lion and the Christ figure in the book, uh, in the story, is, quote, on the move. And then he goes on to explain that, uh, that Aslan is the true king of Narnia in the day. These kids are the ones to help him uh, end the tyrannical rule of the white witch. When, when the beavers say that Aslan is on the move, in, in other words, what they are saying is this. Something is up. The, the prophecies are coming true. The, the moment we've been waiting for is here. The, the time for longing and waiting is over. Aslan is on the move. And I would like to submit to you, to us, that I think the season of Advent is kind of like that. The season of Advent, which began December the 2nd and which will finish on Christmas Eve, is a time of preparation, remembrance, and celebration that the Messiah came, that he came for us. We, we remember and we celebrate that God took on flesh. We, we, as Christians, as his followers, we put ourselves in the place of faithful first century Jews who were awaiting with eager expectation and longing for God to decisively act to forgive sins, to end their exile, and to restore the world. And so for the season of Advent, the three weeks of Advent, we remember the first coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. And also during this season, we should look forward to and we should long for the second advent of Christ, his second coming. Now with with all of that said, we are going through this sermon series because it is, it is important that we make sure that our expectations about Jesus come from the Bible. We have seen throughout this series that when our expectations about Jesus are off from what the Bible says, it is easy to get disillusioned, it is easy to get sidetracked, it is easy to get disappointed. But... When we know and believe and trust in the Jesus of Scripture, in the Jesus of the Bible, our hearts sing, our hearts rejoice, our hearts worship. The beauty and the glory of Christ becomes more valuable to us and it stirs us to love him. And so my, my goal throughout this whole Advent series has been to encourage you, encourage us, church, to not settle for anything less than a big Jesus. And if you, uh, for whatever reason, have not been able to be here the past few weeks, you can catch up uh, on our series online, taprootchurch.org slash sermons. And uh, man, we encourage you to, to listen to what we've been talking about. Now, last week, we talked about and looked at Jesus being our Savior who came to save and forgive us. This is what the prophets foretold. What we saw was that Jesus came primarily to deal with our sin. He came to live the life that we could not. He came to die in our place and be raised from the dead. And when he did this, God was satisfied with Christ 
And all that he did in his life and death became effective for us. He fulfilled all of God's will on our behalf. And because of that, if we trust in Christ to save us, God no longer sees us in our sin. We are made righteous before God. We are granted access to God all because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And because of this, we who once were enemies of God are now beloved children. We are reconciled to God in such a way that God is always with us and he always cares for us. His life His death, his resurrection are what frees us from the penalty of sin, from the bondage of sin. And this church is the best news ever. I said this last week, no no wonder why when the angels announced to the shepherds that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem, they said this, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord These are incredible news. They should cause great joy. Christ has saved us. And here is the truth. If Jesus had done nothing else but deal with our sin, it would have been enough. Now, but this week, we are going to look at the other main reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to be our king. And he Christ is the eternal king, church, that we are to obey and follow. Now, in the first sermon of this series, we traced Jesus throughout all of the Bible. And as we did this, we noticed that there was this expectation among the Jewish people that their Messiah Christ would save them from the tyranny of their enemies, whether that was the Babylonians or the Assyrians in the Old Testament or the Romans in the first century, they, they longed for the Messiah to save them from their enemies. And in so doing, they missed that Jesus who came to save them from their sin was the expected and longed for Messiah because sin is our greatest enemy. Now, they also had this other expectation of the Messiah. They believed that he would come to reestablish the glory days of Israel as their king. They believed that their coming Messiah would be a king like their greatest king, King David, who reigned 1,000 years before Christ. David is still mourned in Jerusalem. David led Israel to unprecedented prosperity and victory. He was a man of war, but he was also a man after God. He had some serious shortcomings. But the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart who would do all of God's will. And the Jews, because God had promised, they they waited with bated breath for the coming of this Messiah King from the line of David, from David's family, to be their greater David, the greatest king. Now, so this morning, we're going to talk about this eternal king from an Old Testament text that is filled with Messiah King expectation in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, which is a very famous Christmas 
text. Now, if you, if you need a Bible, uh, we, we have some Bibles in the back that we would like to give you as a gift. But I would encourage you today to keep your Bible or your Bible app open and just kind of mark the things that we are going to look at. So let's get, let's get going here. Last week I said this, but I want to say it one more time. I think it is important to, for you to hear this. If you, are, if you are a Christian, if you've been walking with Christ for, for a long time, and you, you think, man, I know these truths. My, my encouragement to you would be this. May, as we hear these truths again, may these truths move your heart afresh and again to worship and to adore King Jesus. Now, if you would also call yourself a Christian, but things have been difficult, things have been hard, you are struggling, you are confused, you are hurting, my prayer for you is that may, may these truths ground you, may they settle your heart, may they encourage your soul, and may they give you great hope. And if, finally, if you would not call yourself a Christian, my invitation for you is just invite you into a conversation. I would invite you to, to, to discuss and, and talk about what you hear today with whoever invited you to come. Now, the, the big idea that I want to look at this morning, what I want us to see and kind of get at this morning is this. I already said this, but it's very simple. Jesus Christ is the promised eternal king who we are to obey and to follow. Let me give you just a little bit of context of what's going on in the text about 700 years before Jesus came, Israel was in this time of chaos, and their king Ahaz was a train wreck of fear and cowardice. The, the Assyrians were the most powerful world power at the time, and they were knocking their shields together, standing at Israel's doorsteps, and they were about to take them captive. And in the middle of this chaos... In the middle of this fear and uncertainty, Isaiah receives this promise and this prophecy from the God of heaven. And I want to show you how, how this whole thing played out in three points. I want to show you this text and break it up in three points. And they are this. Number one, the king's promise and birth. Number two, the king's increase and in throne. And finally, the king's power. So let's look first at the king's promise and birth. And you'll see this in verse Six, right in the text in your Bibles. Isaiah is going to show us the dual nature of this coming king. He first shows us that Jesus is going to be is a human. He shows us Jesus' humanity in his birth with the words, For to us a child is born. But then right after that, he shows us that Jesus will also be divine with the words, A son is Given. He shows us that Christ will be uh, divine and that he is a gift that is given to us from heaven. And when we read these two phrases, a child is born, a son is given, our eyebrows should raise just a little bit because they point to the fact that this Messiah King would not only be born like a man, but he would also be a gift from heaven and God would take on flesh. And this was the expectation. If you look over to Isaiah 7, one page to your left, Isaiah had already promised that the coming Messiah would be born of a virgin, which gives us good indication of how he would come. 
This Messiah King would be born of a virgin in order to represent man before God, but he would also be God and he would do what only God could do. And we can see this throughout the text. This dual nature, the prophet goes on to tell us in verse 6 about the type of government or the kingdom that this God-man, this Savior King would be ruling over. Look at the description here. Verse 6, this this government would be a, a stable government resting on the shoulders of this Messiah King in contrast to the chaos that Israel was experiencing the, the, the Messiah would, would provide peace and flourishing and stability to this government. And if you think about it, wouldn't that be hopeful news for the Israelites? Chaos and fear everywhere, yet their, their coming king would provide stability and consistency. And isn't that hopeful news for us? In a world of violence, injustice, and extremes, there is one who has come, who has the authority, the power, the strength to have the government rest upon his shoulders. And his government will never shut down. This is good news. Now think about this personally. How many of you guys are experiencing some chaos in your personal life? How many of you are experiencing some some fear and anxiety in your life? Well, there is one who is ruling and reigning, who has things under control. That is hopeful news for us. The old children's song is is true. It's cheesy, but it's true. (laughs) He's got the whole world in his hands. That is a simple truth that is Filled with hope. Now we, we also see the, the prophet describing this king. We see, we see the promise of the type of governor he will be, the type of king he will be, and the type of government and kingdom he will uh, rule over. And we see this in the names that are listed in verse 6. Each one of them are like titles written on his throne. And each one of them describes a unique quality of the king and his kingdom. And you cannot miss this. Look at how the prophet describes this king. Number one, he is the wonderful counselor. Meaning that his counsel is the highest of all. There is no other wisdom that compares to the king's wisdom. Greater than the great Solomon, this king is going to reign in a way that no one will offer him counsel because he will do all things according to the counsel of his will. This king is the mighty God, which this title displays the divinity of this Messiah king. He would not only be a human king, he will be a God king, and he will rule with the authority and the power of God. There is no one else like him, and no one can conquer him. Unlike Ahaz, who was hiding away in terror from the Assyrians, this mighty God fears no man, and he conquers all of his enemies. And his kingdom is everlasting, because he himself, the king, is the everlasting father. While while the phrase, mighty God, displays strength and power, 
everlasting father displays compassionate concern and care for his family members. His kingdom will be one of loving, caring grace. Yes. But at the same time, there is justice in his hands for his enemies. And for us, his people, there is tender mercy and grace. And finally, the prophet goes on to tell us that this king will be the prince of peace. Where he goes, where his subjects submit, there will be peace. Now, there are two types of peace in this world. There is the peace that we see when our enemies in us are reloading. Quiet, eerie, terrifying peace because we know that the shooting will continue. Or there is lasting peace where there are no more enemies. They've either been reconciled to our king and to us, or they have been dealt with in his justice. And this second piece is what the prophet is talking about here. A lasting peace that overcomes the obstacles between our enemies and us to such a degree that enemies then become friends. It is a peace that the Messiah King's kingdom can only bring where a lion could lay down with a lamb and a child could play with a snake. It is a peace that is going to take a God-man to bring. And you can see the, the certainty from the prophet by how he speaks, can't you? He, he creates such expectation of this coming king because he knows that this is a promise from God. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name shall be. All of these are terms of promise. So this is the king's birth and his promise. Now let's look at the second thing, the king's increase and throne. We'll see this throughout most of verse 7. Notice here in verse 7 how the prophet declares of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now this promise, when you stop and think about it, is simply overwhelming. The Messiah King will set up a kingdom that will increase. And the peace that follows it will increase as well. And there will be no end to that increase. In other words, nothing can stop the growth of the kingdom of God. Now, but there is, there is something you cannot miss. Notice the little word, the little phrase in verse 7, that it must increase. You see that? Of the increase, there will be no end. And we cannot miss this because for something to increase, it implies that what? It is not yet fully grown. It implies that something is going to start small, but it's going to grow and increase. If it was fully grown, fully developed, there would be no need for an increase. So we could say it this way. The growth of the Messiah King's kingdom will never stop until it is fully developed. Now let me show you in your Bible a couple other places where we see this truth. In the book of Daniel, another great prophet, he has this vision of world empires. And in this vision, he saw a statue with a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, body and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
You guys know this story? Okay. But then a small stone struck the statue and destroys this statue. And then this little stone grows into this great mountain that fills the whole earth. And then Daniel, he interprets this vision. And notice how he describes this this kingdom, the stone kingdom. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left for another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And I'm not sure about you, but this sounds a whole lot like the kingdom that Isaiah promised in Isaiah 9. A small stone growing into a kingdom that will stand forever. Progress, increase, and from small to great. Then we get this further look In the Gospels, when Matthew says this, in Matthew 13, Jesus gave us what are known as the kingdom parables, where he compares the kingdom of God to things that we could understand. In verses 31 and through 33 of Matthew 13, he gives us two metaphors. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man put into the ground, and though it was small, it grew to a huge tree that all the birds in the sky come and nest in it. And then he says this, in the kingdom of heaven, it's like a small amount of leaven that fills everything that is in it. Again, this sounds a whole lot like the kingdom that Isaiah promises in the Old Testament, the Messiah King's kingdom. Again, three, three places in the Bible that show us that the kingdom of this eternal king will start small and it'll increase. And and nothing, no one, no earthly king, no ruler, no president, no power can stop this king or his kingdom from increasing or the peace that follows it. It is going to grow slowly, deliberately, and in God's timing. I'm going to try to say this slowly so you can catch this as well. That's the king And the kingdom increased. But what about the king's throne? You see this in the text as well. Isaiah says this, On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. This goes back to our introduction today. The Jews waited anxiously for a physical Messiah king. Okay, physical Messiah King, a God man to sit on the throne of David and rule from Jerusalem, their holy city. So it would seem that in order to fulfill uh, this, this prophecy, the Messiah King must actually sit on David's actual throne and oversee David's kingdom. But there's something about this throne that we have to understand that will impact our understanding of the Messiah King. David's throne was often called the throne of the Lord. The best example is when David's son Solomon rose to the throne. First Chronicles tells us that he sat on the throne of the Lord as king. Now stay with me, okay? R.C. Sproul said this, The Lord established the Davidic line, and the king ruled as his representative on earth. Israel's throne, therefore, was really the throne of the creator himself. Now, to clarify this further, 
One commentator said this, as a descendant of David, he would sit on David's throne and rule David's kingdom. Since David sat on God's throne and ruled God's kingdom, these terms are not to be interpreted in a narrow, physical, and earthly sense. Now, here's what all that means. This coming Messiah King would sit on the throne of God as a fulfillment of sitting on the throne of David. But to fulfill that does not mean that he would actually sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem, but something more heavenly and majestic. Our our eternal king does not rule on an earthly throne, but he rules from heaven. And he, again, has the whole world in his hands. Now, let me give you a quick recap of what we've talked about so far. We've we've got a Messiah king who will be a God-man. He will be born of a virgin and yet rule as God because he would also be God. You got that? He would bring stability and peace with him. And his government will start small, but it's going to increase. And nothing will stop this kingdom from increasing. Yeah? You with me? Okay. He will sit on the throne of God, also known as the throne of David. And since he is the God-man, his throne will be different than an actual physical throne like David. Yeah? Okay. Now, how is all of this going to happen. The king's power. Look at the king's power. Verse 7 emphatically answers how this whole thing would happen, how this Messiah king would be God and man, how he would bring stability and peace in this increasing kingdom, how he would rule from the throne of God. How is this whole thing going to happen? Verse 7 says this, the seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, this Messiah King will be born of a virgin by the power of God. He will rule as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace by the power of God. His government will start small and will increase and will not stop growing and advancing by the power of God. God who is zealous for his glory, zealous for his people, will bring all of these things to pass. The seal of the Lord of hosts will do all of this. The power of God will do all of these things. The new American commentary describes this perfectly. With unassailable seal, determination, and passion, God will concentrate his efforts to accomplish this marvelous deed. I say his listeners can be absolutely sure that an omnipotent, sovereign God will be behind the fulfillment of this wonderful plan. So here is what we, church, can be sure of. This is going to happen. And the Messiah King's government will increase by, over time by the power and the promise of God because God will make sure of this. Now, Everything I've just said has been pretty, pretty heady, pretty theological here. Now let's, let's apply this to life. What are some of the implications of these truths? How, how does this affect us? What does this mean for us? The first thing I would submit is very simple. The, the promised Messiah King in, I, in our text is Jesus. Just in case you missed it. This thing is about Christ. 
We, we know this because Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. He was born of a virgin, fulfilling the virgin birth. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, incarnate. He is Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus came, he came as a king. He established his kingdom on earth. And we know that his kingdom started small, don't we? His kingdom work goes from himself, one God-man. He gave it to the, the gospel to 12 apostles who preached the gospel in Jerusalem. And 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. And then over the years, the kingdom advanced from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to basically all over the world, small to large. And this kingdom continues to grow and increase. And guess what? Church, you and I, Christian, we, we get to be a part of this growth. When we, when we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. When, when we pray that his kingdom would come to, to Burien as it is in heaven. To, to the south end as it is in heaven. To, to uh, Des Moines. I can't stop but say Des Moines. As it is in heaven, to, to Normandy Park, to, to White Center, to West Seattle. When we pray those things, guess who God uses? You. Us. We, we get to be a part of the increase of this king's kingdom. John Calvin said, it is the task. It, it is the mission. It is, it is what the church does. To make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, and even in our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. And the only way the kingdom of God is going to be made manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of this eternal king. Now, we, we also know that, that this text is talking about Christ because Jesus fulfills the prophecy of he is going to sit on the throne of the Lord or the throne of David. When the apostles preached in Jerusalem, notice how they described this promise being fulfilled. Acts chapter 2 says this, David, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, this prophecy is fulfilled. Christ will rule on the throne of the Lord. This means that Jesus Christ is the Messiah King that Isaiah prophesied about. And when he came, he established his kingdom and rule on earth, and it's going to increase and grow by the power of God. And we get to be a part of that increase and growth. Scotty Smith said this, the coming of Jesus puts all nations on notice. There is only one true king, and he is Jesus. 
And the coming of Jesus puts us, your people, face down in adoring love. For Jesus is the most wonderful, merciful Savior, Emmanuel, the God who is with us and the God who is for us. And see, here is what this thing tells us. In Jesus' first coming, which is what we uh, prepare for during Advent, what we celebrate during Christmas, he came to be our Savior. He came to offer his life and death for us so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And that would have been enough. But listen, he also came to establish his kingdom on earth and give us his kingdom rules. And because of his resurrection and ascension, he governs, he administrates the work of his increasing kingdom from the throne of God in heaven. You got that? Now, the second thing this whole thing means for us is this. We should follow and obey this king. If Jesus has come as king, and Christian, we believe that he has, this means this. First, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a believer in Christ, you should, we encourage you to turn to him today in humble submission. That is the most appropriate response. He has come as king, and we should believe in him. If you, if you do that, you'll be forgiven of your sin, You'll be reconciled to God. You'll be given Christ's righteousness and become partaker in his kingdom work. It is the best thing for your present joy, for your eternal happiness. And you should submit to him now because there's a day that is coming when all of his enemies, those who do not believe in his kingship, will bow their knee in humiliation. Here is a fact. Every knee will one day bow before this great king. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, if you would call yourself a Christian, Jesus' coming as our king means that it is our obligation to follow this king. I've thought about this all week, and I, I think that this is what it means to be a disciple. The, the Hebrew word, that is translated into the English as disciple, is the Hebrew word talmidim. talmidim. A, a talmid or a disciple is much more than simply a student. A student only wants to know what the teacher knows for the grade, to complete a class, or to get a degree. Right? I've done that before. On the other hand, a, a Talmud or, or a disciple, they, they want to be like the teacher. They want to become what the teacher is, and they want to do the things their teacher did. That meant that disciples were, were passionately devoted to their teachers, and they noted everything they did or said. They followed so closely and studied their every move. Now, at Tapper, we would define a disciple like this. A disciple is someone who has radically reoriented his or her life around Jesus. So if Christ is king, and our obligation is to follow this king, is that true of us? Are we, are we following King Jesus like this? 
passionately devoted to him, noting everything he did or said? Are we following so closely, studying his every move, growing in grace in the likeness of Christ? Is that true of us? Are we following King Jesus like this? Does he affect everything you do in life, in every area of life? Are we following King Jesus like this? Now, as as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are also to obey our king. Jesus is the the eternal king. And this means that if you're a Christian, our allegiance is to him. Our faithfulness is to him. And what he says matters to us. So when he says that we are to leave certain sins behind, we do. When he says that we are to live a particular way at home, we do. When he says that we are to do certain things at work, we do. When he says that we are to love our neighbor, we do. And when we blow it, we we own it, we know it, and we turn back to him again. In a nutshell, we, we ought to see ourselves as representatives of our king. Is this how you see yourself? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 clearly about this truth. We are ambassadors of God. God is entreating others through us to be reconciled to God. We are representing our God as his kingdom subjects. This should tell us that Jesus is not our co-pilot. He is our king. He is not a badge, a bumper sticker, or a t-shirt that we wear. He really is our king. Obeying him and representing him is what his followers do. Are we doing that? Now, the last implication is this. As Jesus' followers, we have to have the right expectations about his increasing kingdom work. Let me, let me explain what I mean very quickly. Sam Storms defines the kingdom of God like this, and this is on the screen. The kingdom of God is the presence and powerful lordship of the person of the king himself, Jesus. The kingdom of God is known and seen wherever Christ is acknowledged, where his subjects are saved, where his enemies are vanquished, and where his ways are obeyed. The kingdom of God then is anywhere or anytime or anyone over whom Jesus Christ exercises lordship. The kingdom, of, the, the kingdom is the king reigning in hearts and minds. Okay, so we have to have the right expectations about the increasing kingdom work. Now, there are, I think, two tendencies when we think of the kingdom of heaven. One is that we tend to think of his kingdom in a completed, fulfilled sense. The other tendency is to think of his kingdom coming quickly or swiftly. Now, while there are times when the Lord moves quickly or miraculously, the normal work of the kingdom of God is slow, patient, and deliberate. It normally doesn't come all of a sudden in swift, quick Changes The normal reality of the increasing of the kingdom of God is what we see in Isaiah 9. It is gradual, it is small, yet 
increasing. And the slow movement of the gospel or the kingdom of God must never discourage us. But be encouraged. God has promised to make it increase, and he will. Notice the Lord's patience for his Old Old Testament people. They were 400 years in Egypt before he sent them Moses to deliver them. In this prophecy in Isaiah came 700 years before Jesus showed up. God is patient and deliberate about his work and his kingdom. He really is the king of paradox. He is the mighty God who was born a baby. He is the miracle worker who works in the mundane. He is the king of kings, and yet he is the suffering servant. In all that Jesus does, he does according to the counsel of his will and in his timing. So we ought to have the right expectations about his increasing kingdom work. Let me close with this. This is what we've seen today. Church, Christian, our king has come. Our king has come. He has come indeed. And he started the work of his kingdom when he came to earth the first time. He administrates the work of that kingdom from the throne of God and he increases his work, his kingdom by his seal through his people day by day, year by year, millennia by millennia. And he will come again when his work is finished. And he uses each of us for this remarkable work. This is what that means for you. Your life matters. The proclamation of the gospel matters. The demonstration of the gospel matters. Giving your life for the gospel matters. Let's pray. Father, As we look at this text, this, this, this prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ, I, I, just, I just stand back and I, and I look at this description of the king and it just makes me want to worship. You are a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. There is no one like you. Your, your kingdom, your government will, will increase and nobody can stop it. May, may these truths cause us to worship. Father, Father I pray for those who, who are experiencing um, chaos right now. Life makes no sense. Encourage us, Lord, in knowing that you, King Jesus, you are, you are ruling and governing over our lives and over all of history with, with incredible wisdom. Wisdom that is beyond us. And you, we, we can trust you. You are the sovereign king of all the earth and, and we, we trust you, God, in your, your leadership, your, your leading
Father, I thank you for, for, for letting us be partakers in the increase of your kingdom. Lord, help us to, to, to take that to heart. You, you are using your people, God. Help us to be ambassadors, representatives of the king everywhere we go. And may your kingdom come to our families, to our places of work, to our cities. Everywhere we go, may the kingdom, may the gospel increase more and more. May you use this church, God. May you use Taproot to see your kingdom come to the south end as it is in heaven, God. May many come to know you, Christ, as their king, as their savior because of what happens here, God, through your people, Lord. pray for those who in this room may, may not know you. Help them to see the beauty of Christ. Jesus, you've, you've transformed our lives. Draw people to yourself today, Lord, and may they see there's no one like you and that you can save people. Thank you for these great truths, Lord. You're a great king. You're ruling in power with great wisdom, with great care. There is none like you, God. You are a king who deserves our worship. So that is what we now do. We pray.